are today, starting a new series for Lent. Um, and that's kind of exciting. And what we're doing for the series is we're taking the three traditional practices of Lent, which are, do you want to know? Prayer. Fasting. Generosity, giving alms. Yeah, nice one. Those three, we're going to supplement them with a few others uh, that are also important practices. And the kind of logic of it came, comes from this book that, that Hayden's always quoting at me from. Um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I thought the series should be called something a bit different. I wasn't sure whether it should be The Seven Habits of Somewhat Effective Christians. <laughs> or Marginally Effective <laughs> suggested highly defective Christians, <laughs> which is probably better, but it's generally in a sort of loose dialogue with that Stephen Covey book. And the, re- the kind of goal of the series, I suppose, is the recognition that what we do shapes the people that we become. The goal of these disciplines is that as we practice them, we make space for Christ to be formed more deeply we make room for the Holy Spirit's work in us to bring us to Christ's likeness. And that order is quite important because it can be really easy to hear a sermon about spiritual practice and discipline and stuff and think, work harder, do more, as if it's all about me. You know, very last you've got a boxer. What did boxer say in Animal Farm? Um, boxer in Animal Farm. There's something like, um, oh, you've all done Animal Farm at school. There's something like, I think I can. I know that's the other one. <laughs> 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 but basically, I will work harder. I will work harder. I will work harder. Yes. And actually, no. We make room for God to do the work. That's the that's the goal of it. Now, let's be honest. Well, I'll be honest. I am probably worst equal in this congregation for preaching a sermon on discipline. I am pretty all over the place when it comes to discipline. I'm sort of spontaneous and random in my work habits, which has a strength. It's got flexibility and adaptability <laughs> and creativity and stuff, but it's not that reliable when it comes to just building good life-giving habits, I have to say. I can be quite dogged, but I'm not very disciplined. There's a family joke, really, that when I was about eight, eight I, my mum enrolled me in recorder lessons, and I refused to practice. Just wouldn't do it. And she said, I said, I want to quit. She said, you can't quit. She said, the only way I'll let you quit is if you write a letter to the teacher saying that you quit. And she thought she was on solid ground. There's no way I was going to write a letter to the teacher. But I did. Dear Mrs. Glazer, I quit. Love Tim. My mum thinks it's hilarious because Elliot's just completed three years of from one of the premier Baroque instrumentalists. And actually the come from an 11-year-old, quite a good recorder player. Um, and my mother says it's the sins of the father's death. <laughs> but the, I'm a terrible recorder player, right? So the moral of the story is that discipline breeds habit, creates lifestyle, as they say in uh, the world. So today, the discipline is the discipline of fasting. I'm not an expert in fasting. I've sort of dabbled in it a little bit. I've never, I don't think, since the 40-hour plan was done, I fast longer than one day. That's kind of my maximum. I never try anything more than that. Um, A food fast, that is. 
um, so I'm speaking kind of out of ignorance and kind of out of limited experience. But I think it's good to recognize that fasting has long been a part of both non-Christian and Christian spiritual practice. We got it from Judaism, obviously. And it's interesting that the very one of the earliest texts that we have outside the New Testament, Christian texts, is this one called the Didache. And the Didache says, as a matter of course, Christians should be fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. Not Mondays and Thursdays, because that's when Jewish people do it, right? It's different from them. But we do it on Mondays and sorry, Wednesdays and Fridays. And it was just assumed that that's part of what we do, really. Over the centuries, this then kind of solidified into various forms of fasting for particular occasions, and Lent was a big one of those. We've probably watered Lent down quite a lot nowadays. We might deign to give up chocolate if we're feeling particularly devout and pious. But the roots of it are deep, and that has been a big part of, of Christian spiritual practice. We don't talk about it much, though, eh? It's kind of elusive. And I'm only really going to scratch the surface of it today. I suspect we hear more about it from dieting and from health points of view than we do from the spiritual point of view these days, which is interesting, eh? The five plus two diet and all that kind of stuff. Why don't we hear more about fasting? I've got four reasons. Firstly, I think it's because it's never actually commanded to us in the scriptures. There's possibly a command to, to people of Israel in Leviticus around the Day of Atonement, that they should fast on the Day of Atonement, but it's never actually a command in the New Testament. second reason I reckon we don't hear that much about it is because Jesus says, don't make a show of it, right? I feel a bit sort of self I actually would never say that I occasionally fast for a day because I've been making a show of it, you know, I didn't want to do that. Um, Jesus says, your fasting is between you and God. So don't draw attention to it. It shouldn't be obvious to anyone. It's a secret discipline practiced in the secret place. But note, he does presume that it is something we will be doing. Third reason that perhaps we don't hear more about fasting is because it can easily become really legalistic. And I guess our Protestant heritage is to move away from that really strict medieval insistence, you must fast for these times, you must give up this, you must give up that. In lots of the Christian world, still the Orthodox Church, Mel's had clients, um, Ethiopian and Eritrean clients, who, who were quite hard out fasting requirements at Lent, but also at other times of the year as well. We Protestants have reacted against legalism, and so maybe don't do it much at all. And the final reason I think that we don't hear much about fasting is because it is hard. <laughs> we like to give in to our cravings and to our appetites, and we would rather not be told restraint. Restraint is not really of the order of the day. But the thing is this, consistently throughout Christian history, fasting has been understood as a really rich and deep resource for the spiritual life. It's been understood as a source of kind of baseline for significant spiritual growth when it's practiced and understood rightly. And if you look back through church history, there are innumerable occasions of this where 
miraculous movements of the Holy Spirit, large-scale turnings for God, have coincided with periods of fasting from significant people or groups of people. Since the Reformation, for example, all the famous Reformed preachers, I think, and certainly all the famous mm. revivalist preachers, seem to follow regular practices of fasting. Luther, Calvin, Knox, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, lots of Chinese Christians, Brother Yun, people like that. Not many women on that list, sorry. I bet there are heaps of women who got lost to history but fasted all the time. John Wesley wouldn't let anyone become a Methodist sort of leader unless they fasted twice a week according to the pattern of the Vertigo in Jack. Now, in none of those cases of significant spiritual awakening can you ever say that fasting caused the miracle. Can you? You can't say that. You just don't know what happens in the strange sovereignty of God. And so I think we're tempted to say, well, we can't sort of establish a causal link between fasting and, and God's work, so let's not bother fasting. <laughs> Whereas actually, I think, I want to say that the practice of fasting expresses a great seriousness, a sense of spiritual need, which God's grace and mercy then might fill in God's sovereignty. And that allying of fasting and spiritual need is really key. So what does the Bible say? In the Bible, fasting is mostly about giving up food. And it's mostly done in times of great need or to express this seriousness, this abandonment and throwing ourselves on God. It's never a feat of spiritual showing off, what Jesus critiqued the Pharisees for, but it's always linked to prayer and humility. I would just say from the outside, outset, if you are tempted to crazy fasting, be very careful. I'm not encouraging hard-out fasting. There was stuff in the international media last week about a Mozambican pastor who died recently trying to emulate Jesus' 40-day fast. Um, he went without food and water, and even Jesus, it would seem from the text, had water, right? Mm -hmm. Not about self-flagellation for the sake of it. And so if you are tempted to do that, do talk to people about what you're doing. Do seek medical advice. Do read serious stuff before trying any fast longer than a day, I would suggest. In the Old Testament, fasting is called for when the nation is under threat. It's, that's, you can see that in Joel and 2 Chronicles, among other places. Fasting is practiced when God's Favour is especially needed, e.g. when Ezra is leading the people back from exile to Jerusalem. It's practiced as a way of showing to the community and to God that repentance is genuine. A couple of verses there too. But note, it's not about bribing God. I think that story that Emily read to us from 2 Samuel is really instructive sometimes people think with fasting, well, if I fast, God has to answer my prayers because, look, I'm fasting. <laughs> I'm awesome. So God will answer my prayers as a matter of course. And that story from 2 Samuel is a really poor
poignant, sad story about the fallout of David's sin of getting Uriah murdered and, and having the, a fleeing adultery with Bathsheba. And it's a, it's a grim story. And David's kind of cast back on the thought that maybe this child that he has can be saved or live if he fasts. But he doesn't demand it of God. And when the, the child dies, he actually accepts that a real sense of resignation. In no sense does he feel that God is to blame in that case. It's rather the passing is a sign of humility before God. That's, um, there's a whole lot more going on in that story, but just be very careful about any sense that because I fasted, God must answer my prayers. It's not meant to. Fast can also be partial, not always about giving up food. Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 10 fasts from various foods for a period of three weeks. And he's seeking God. He doesn't fast immediately. Into the New Testament, fasting is usually, it's got overtones of all those things, but it's usually about preparing for God's service. It always involves turning to God for direction or equipping or guidance in prayer and worship. Jesus obviously, in his 40-day fast, before confronting the evil one and beginning his preaching and healing ministry fasts for that 40 day period in the, in the New Testament reading that Emily reads, the church in Antioch has been kind of humming along, Paul's established it's going kind of okay, uh, what's next they're not sure, so they practice a period of prayer and worship and fasting and it's out of that period of preparation that they hear the Holy Spirit's guidance that they should send Paul and Barnabas off on a missionary journey, that's Paul's first missionary journey. That's where the great kind of work of Paul as the great Christian evangelist begins. So there's a significant connection there between the fasting and the worshipping, the fasting and the prayer. Everything that I've read really stresses that connection. Fasting is for the purpose of prayer. It's for the purpose of focusing on God. I think the risk with our more modest kind of Lenten habits of giving up chocolate or alcohol or coffee or social media, all the good things to give up. But the risk of that is that you can actually get through 40 days, believe it or not. <laughs> the Nara Coffee's challenged me about this. They said, oh, I don't know that you can get through 40 days without wine. I think you can give, give up those things for 40 days through a kind of act of, of willpower. You can actually just tough it out. And it can be a bit of a humble brag. I got through 40 days of eating meat. Or it might even be a sort of way to diet and dress it up in sort of spiritual <laughs> form. But that's not focusing on the spiritual purpose of fasting. It's easy too, I think, if you're like me. You give up coffee, but you drink more tea. Or you give up chocolate, you drink more licorice. And you don't actually have to change. You drink licorice, I don't get it. I drink licorice tea. You don't have to change the way that your life operates and use the space that's created by fasting to seek God. If our fasting isn't really directing us to God as it's supposed to do, if it doesn't cost us or free us up for prayer, maybe we haven't got it quite right. Fasting doesn't have to be about food. I see that from Daniel. Paul talks about married couples giving up sex to devote themselves to prayer. I leave that to your discretion as to whether that makes a, a course worth pursuing. 
Um, but again, in those cases, fasting is not a feat of willpower. It's not a feat of abstinence. But it's a clearing out of time, of attention, in order to focus on God. In order to realize our spiritual journey. I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. I'm saying fast as you can, not as you can't. Don't go hard all at once. But I am saying be intentional about it. If you've given up chocolate, beer, whatever for Lent, name that before God. Write it down. I have given this up for this purpose. And spend some time asking God, what is the prayer intention you would like me to align with that giving that fasting. What is the focus of my prayer during my Lenten fast? So fasting is all about focusing on God. And when we get that priority right, we're freed to notice a whole lot of other good things that might flow from it, but are secondary to it. Uh, oh, I missed that one. Yeah, that's probably a good quote over there. Christian fasting is the hunger of a homesickness. So, other benefits that might flow from fasting. Fasting shows us what we rely on, what is not God. Fasting reminds us that we do not live by chocolate or alcohol or social media alone, but that our deepest need is actually for God. When we fast, it is likely to reveal our default tendencies to anger or boredom or anxiety or greed, or hardness of heart, that when we're hungry or when we're craving a drink and we don't get one, we notice the anger that starts to rise within us. This is a good thing to notice what happens to us at these points, to notice it and bring it to God. Where do you reach when you are grumpy or sad? Do you reach for the biscuit tin, or for Instagram, or for the gin bottle? I hope not. What is it? notice it and let God speak into it. I think one reason giving up food is so good is you can't easily swap it out for anything else. You can drink more water or whatever, I think you can, but the nag in your gut of hunger is a reminder to bring your grumpiness, your anxiety, your lack of energy to God, back to your reason for fasting. Secondly, Secondly, fasting is beautifully countercultural. If you look at the billboards, you would think that unless you have a caramel magnum or whatever they are, you will, unless, you, unless you have it, succumb to that desire for it, you'll probably die. Whereas in fact, you don't have to eat all the time. If you don't give in to every desire, you're not going to collapse in a heap on the side of the road. For most of us, our reserves are much deeper than we actually think. And so fasting from food can free us, or fasting from anything actually, but fasting from food particularly can free us from excess, can actually point the way beyond consumption to show us that it is possible to go without. And that can force us into solidarity with people who do go without, those who are hungry. Gandhi talked about people who are on an eternal compulsory fast the people in the world who are hungry because they just don't 
notice your greed. Notice the way that you are called to get in to desire in our culture and advertising and bring it to God and ask, how should I let these realisations change my life? We had Isaiah 58 a couple of weeks ago, right? Where God speaking through the prophet says, it's all very well to fast from food, but are you letting it change your behaviour? Is it making you a more just person? And if not, again, you're fasting as a misdeformity. Finally, I haven't said anything about corporate fasting. Jesus' call for us to pray in secret means that maybe we don't ever think about corporate fasting. But again, the biblical examples, think about the church in Antioch praying together, think about the nation praying for deliverance. They point to the power and solidarity in corporate food fasts and prayer. And certainly the experience around the world is that, throughout church history, is that where a group of people gather to fast and pray, things can happen. I have no experience with this. I've never done a corporate fast, except for 40 hour training when I was new in the world. But with the parish building project moving, I think we're going to need a fair few miracles to try. And I wonder if our time for corporate fasting might not be too far away. Really, only scratch the surface this morning. If you want more practical advice, um, come and talk to me about that later. I'll give you some things to read. But to close, I just want us to think about what it is that we have chosen to give up for this Lent if we have. And if we haven't, then maybe just to seek, spend a little bit of time in quiet, asking God to nudge you into what it is that maybe you should be giving up for Lent. But more importantly, to then say, what's my corresponding prayer intention that goes with it? Am I praying for someone in particular? Is God laying a particular issue on my heart? Is it about my own life with God that needs deepening? Those two things. What am I fasting from? And how is that fasting aligned with something that God is calling me to Remember, the purpose of fasting is deeper commitment to God. And our Heavenly Father sees in secret and promises to reward us with the greatest gifts, knowledge of Himself. Let's just pray in quiet for a little bit. I'll just pray to open our silence and after a minute of that, um, the God can come and lead us in, in a song of orientation to God. Focus our fasting intention. Pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit of God, we don't like fasting. We don't like giving stuff up. We like giving in. But we know that one of the fruits of trusting in you is self-control. And I just ask in the quiet now that you would lead each one of us to that thing you are asking us to give up. And also that you would lay on our desire for prayer that goes with our fasting. Save us from self-righteousness and legalism, but may we know that the deepest need